Welcome to Tanakh Daily, a Congregation Ahavas Torah initiative. Today, we are discussing the 24th parak of Melachim Bet, as the nation continues its steep decline. Last parak, we discussed all the outstanding reforms ushered in by the righteous King Yoshiyahu, but learned that it was not enough to stem the tide of decline and decay set in motion by the wicked King Menashe. The rot was too deep. It was beyond repair. After the tragic death of King Yoshiyahu, we learned of the brief reign of Yehoahaz, who is quickly succeeded by Yehoiakim. Yehoiakim is put into power by the Egyptians because, recall, at this time, the kingdom of Yehuda is a vassal state to Egypt. Our parak begins with Bavel ascendant, Bavel wresting control of Malchus Yehuda and the land of Israel from Egypt. So what we're seeing is this kind of tug of war between two superpowers, Egypt and, ba- and, and Bavel, with Yehuda literally in the middle. After three years under Babylonian control, however, Jehoiakim rebels and he throws off the Babylonian yoke. And we're told that God sends bands of Chaldeans and Arameans and Moabites and Ammonites to attack Yehuda. Now, of course, we're, we're meant to understand that this was in fact the response of Bavel, and that's how the Mepharshim understand this. They're the ones who sent proxies or or vassals to attack B'nai Israel, but the Sefer puts it as if God had done this himself, which is to say as if God had explicitly appeared to these different bands of of individuals, of of peoples, to go and attack B'nai Israel. Now, of course, the whole premise of the Sefer is that God works through history, that God uh, sends foreign nations to attack B'nai Israel when when the people have sinned and are, are due punishment. But what's kind of curious is the way that it, it, it says so in, in such an explicit manner here, almost cutting out the middleman, as, as if uh, God explicitly told them to do this, which presumably he did not. But I think just at this point in the Sefer, as the the stakes are being raised for Klal Yisrael, and uh, what, what is going to happen is going to be so devastating, uh, the Sefer almost doesn't risk giving us the room to make any mistake it wants to tell us explicitly, uh, in no uncertain terms, that what happens to B'nai Israel happens not because of weakness, not because of broader geopolitics, happens because Hashem is actively directing these things to happen. And indeed, our parak is punctuated by two psukim, one at the very beginning and one at the very end, which reiterate, which say exactly this, that God was angry at B'nai Israel and was intent on exiling them. So we should not make any sort of mistake. These bands, they wreak havoc on, uh, on B'nai Israel, and, uh, and, and they exact that punishment. And then we're told that Yehoiakim dies, and he's replaced by Yehoiachin. So we, we have to keep uh, all of our king names uh, in, our, in our minds. Uh, they're a little bit hard to uh, keep track of. Yehoiachaz, Yehoiakim, and now we have Yehoiachin. Okay, so we're up to Yehoiachin. At that time, okay, keeping also in mind the broader uh, winds of political change and the broader geopolitics, we're told that Egypt is kind of shut up in its own land, that, uh, that Bavel is dominant, it has seized the upper hand, it has control, and Egypt no longer has a, uh, you know, a broader empire beyond Egypt itself, at least not, into, uh, not, not off the continent of Africa, right? not into the Middle East. The tug of war is won by Bavel in the moment. And in that position of strength, we are told that Bavel lays siege to Yerushalayim. That prompts Yehoiachin to leave the city, to exit the city with his family, kind of present himself before the king of Bavel, who had come to the siege. The king of Bavel is 
Nebuchadnezzar. Right? Nebuchadnezzar arrives to the to ensieged Yerushalayim, and Yehoiachin comes out with his family and kind of with his royal party uh, and presents himself before the king, clearly a sign of capitulating, of surrendering. Nebuchadnezzar sends Yehoiachin uh, into captivity back to Bavel. Uh, he sacks all of the treasury of the Mikdash and the palace. He takes all of that is that is valuable, anything of worth, and he exiles all of the officers of the Yerushalayim and really all of the upper class, all the upper echelon, and even if we can speak of a middle class, it, it talks about artisans and craftsmen and smiths and and such, and, and leaves behind only the lowest caste of uh, of of those living in Yerushalayim at the time, the impoverished, and, and among those who were exiled. Uh, were uh, none, was none other than Mordechai, right? We we read in Megillas Esther that Mordechai was Asher Haglam Yerushalayim, uh, who had been uh, exiled from Yerushalayim. Im Hagola Asher Haglasa Im Yichonya Melech Yehuda, right? Together with the captives that had been taken with Yichonya. Yichonya is Yehoiachin, who had been exiled by Asher Hagla Nebuchadnezzar Melech Bavel, right? Who had been exiled by Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Bavel. So that is a reference to exactly this uh, tragic moment in our history, and in Sefer Malachim. After taking Yehoiachin and sacking the temple, Nebuchadnezzar leaves Yehuda as a kind of semi-autonomous state, right? A, a vassal state. I suppose they might have gone a, a step further, um, but they, they appoint another uh, king. Um, and not only do they appoint another king from Bnei Yisrael, but from Malchus Beis David, showing us that in order to have any sort of legitimacy, you needed to continue with the lineage of, uh, of the proper, right, the proper pedi- uh, uh, pedigree for a king. So he appoints a, a king with a proper pedigree, uh, Tzidkiyahu. And Tzidkiyahu, not surprisingly, however, is, uh, d- does that which is bad in the eyes of God. He is not a good king. He is not a righteous king. And the parak ends, interestingly, as it started uh, with this king, who you would imagine have, would have been a, a puppet and would have been uh, favored in the eyes of Bavel and thus more, you know, more of a, a harmless king, at least vis-a-vis Bavel. But nonetheless, the, the parak ends as it started with a rebellion. Uh, the king, Tzidkiyahu, leads a rebellion against Bavel. Now, in Sefer Malachim, we're not told any of the details of his calculus for this rebellion, but uh, other Sfarim in Tanakh and also some extra-biblical literature gives us a little bit of a broader picture uh, there was uh, an attempted rebellion, uh, a kind of a confederation that was supposed to be made up of a number of other small states that were under the thumb of Bavel that was supposed to be backed by Egypt, um, and they were together supposed to throw off the yoke uh, of Bavel once more. Uh, but uh, this will, uh, much as the last time, lead to disaster. We will talk about uh, what that looks like uh, when we uh, again uh, meet for our discussion of next parak, which will be the final parak of Malachim Bet. That's it for now. Chazak ve'ematz, and happy learning.